Good morning and welcome here. I'm glad that you've joined us this morning. For many, it's been a week filled with emotion and change. There was the tragedy in Saskatchewan. The Queen has passed away. It's the beginning of a new school year, and today we remember 9-11. Yet through all these things, God remains faithful, and he never leaves our side. And in the midst of these things, he gives us reason to praise. I'm glad that you've come. I'm glad that we've gathered this morning. And let's begin by worshiping the Lord together in song. We're going to stay seated for this first song, and we'll stand a little bit later. this morning is found in Psalm 34, 1 to 14. Psalm 34, 1 to 14. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. 
Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Please bow with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we gather together this morning to glorify you and to exalt your name together. Thank you that you are here, that you are present with us. Thank you that you have been with us through this week and that you go before us in the week that lies ahead. We invite you now to make your presence known with us as we worship and as we hear your word spoken and preached this morning. Amen. I invite you now to stand and sing this hymn, I Will Sing of My Redeemer. Receive 
reading this morning is found in the book of Luke, chapter 22, verses 7 to 20. Luke 22, verses 7 to 20. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. 
When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Good morning. All right. It is Sunday school again and children's church again. So that means that we need to pray to dismiss our children to children's church. So please bow with me right now. Dear God, we thank you for each and every one of the children in our congregation this morning. God, we pray that as they go off now to children's church, that they will find themselves challenged in new ways, that they will learn new things, and that you will bless them in all that they do. God, we also pray for the teacher. Give them the words to say. Lord, we put this in your hands. Amen. Uh, Just down the hall, that way, by the women's washroom. All right. So now we are into announcements and prayer, and we have a wonderful announcement for you this morning. So I would like to invite up Bilal and Shahadi. They have some words to say for us this morning. Hi, how are you? He just wants to thank you all for all your help. And uh, he is very grateful for the things you guys have done. And he's proud to be a new settler in Canada. And he wants to thank you again for that. For for all the years that uh, that were delayed uh, coming towards Canada, he just wants to thank you guys for not leaving him or giving up. And he wants to thank you for standing with him. And that's his message. We are happy to have as well. It's been six years and six, seven. It's been such a long time. (laughs) And we are just so very happy that you and your family are finally here. He's very happy as well. They will be joining us for potluck, so make sure to stay and say hi and seven years. If you have your bulletin on you, now is the time to pull it out and look at the back of it. So you'll see first thing on there today following the service, potluck. Uh, Well, that's exactly what it sounds. Today, following the service, there is a potluck. Even if you didn't bring anything, please stay and have some good time and conversation, good time and fellowship. We'd love to have you. Uh, Then after that, Wednesday, 7 p.m., prayer meeting at the church. Uh, Then Sunday, 9.45 a.m., Sunday school, Sunday, 10.45 a.m., worship service. Uh, What we want to say besides that is is that this week also sees the beginning of nursery school. Uh, That is going to be running on Tuesday, on Wednesday, and on Friday. Uh, And so if you need to come to the church for anything, try not to come in the mornings on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. Then if we skip down to the bottom, small group sign-up sheet. Uh, If you are wanting to be in a small group and you aren't already, then there's a sign-up sheet on the back, then make sure to put your name down on there. If you're already in a small group, we're going to assume that you want to be in it again, so don't worry about doing that then. 
But volunteers are also needed for Kids Club. Talk to Christine Murray for the sign-up. My understanding is, is that uh, the planning is going well and there is a lot of excitement being built. So uh, mid to late October, we'd also ask everybody to add to your prayers uh, the Kids Club that is coming over the coming year. Pray for Christine, pray for Annette, all the volunteers and all of the kids that come as well. Just pray a blessing on that. September 18th, 2 p.m., Valley View Bible Camp, uh, Harvest uh, and 60th Anniversary Celebration. Uh, RSVP is encouraged to just get in touch with the camp, and they'll be able to put your name down. Program at 4 p.m., meal at 6 p.m. Uh, and then uh, the one last thing is next week, which is the 18th. Uh, next Sunday, then we are going to have a very short congregational meeting after the service uh, where we are going to uh, hear the transfer uh, of membership and testimony from Gord and Christine and then also affirm them as new deacons. So that'll be after the service next week. Make sure to have good conversations and pray for them over the week to come as well. All right, any more announcements? Then, if we look at, please pray for these items. Evelyn Rogers, she is in Paraguay right now. Uh, she is uh, on that missions prayer trip. We want to continue to keep her in our prayer that that'll be a successful mission down there. Uh, Tina Taves, we want to pray Thanksgiving. She is back home now, so we want to pray for her, pray that thanks, and also that whatever it is that was causing her to go to the hospital in the first place doesn't arise again. Uh, safety and meaningful connection as the many programs and events get started this fall as well. And we also want to pray for the remainder of the town fair. There's going to be uh, a color fun run this afternoon at 3 p.m. And then I think there's horse events going on for the entire afternoon at the Stride Center. Just pray for safety uh, for anyone that comes out for that as well, as well as for the volunteers. All right, then please bow with me now in a time of prayer. Our dear God, we come before you this morning first off in praise. Our Lord, we want to thank you so much that Bilal, Fatima, and the family, their family is with us. After all of these years, finally the refugee process has worked out. God, we, we thank you so very much. And Lord, we pray that as they start their new life here in Winnipeg, that you will bless them every step of the way that you will be with them, that you will guide. Lord, we pray that you will be at work, that we will all see you at work. But God, most of all, we just say thank you. Lord, thank you. And God, we also want to pray as we are saying our thanks for our sister Tina. Lord, we thank you so much that she is home after her stay in the hospital. God, we pray for continued healing as well. Lord, we pray that whatever it is that caused this is identified and treated and so it won't come up again. But again, we say thank you that she is here with us this morning. You are God that is at work and we love you. And God, we also wanna pray for Evelyn. We want to pray for Evelyn as she is on the prayer team in Paraguay right now, meeting the different missionaries that are down there and also seeing what it is that they are doing and praying for them. God, we pray that you will answer her prayers, Lord. We pray that you will bring a blessing to her mission and we also pray that you will bring a blessing to each of the different missions that are down there, the different churches that she will be seeing, the different EMC missionaries and associate missionaries as well. God, we pray that we will be able to see your kingdom built like we never thought possible before through this. And God, at the same time, as we look forward to the fall, there are a number of things that we want to bring before you as well. Soon, many different ministries in the church will be opening. Kids Club will be starting. And also, all of the other things that we are doing as well, youth and small groups, God, we pray a blessing on them. God, we pray that this will be a wonderful year of learning about who you are and being blessed by it. And we pray for the leaders. We pray that you give them what they need to just run with it. Lord, that we put before you. 
And as we look out to our town and we see the different events going on this morning, Lord, we pray a blessing for those as well. Lord, we pray that there is a good turnout and also that there is safety over the course of the day. And we pray for the different volunteers that they have the energy that is needed to keep up with everybody after an entire 5K race. Lord, we put that before you as well. All of these things we bring before you and we rest them at your feet. And for all of them we say, thank you, our God. In your name we pray, amen. Oh, I forgot to mention, if you're wondering how many times I got dunked in the dunk tank yesterday, I counted 11. (laughs) Two from Shannon, I did not know. The longer that you are married, the more things you learn about your spouse, and one of the things I learned is is that she apparently can hit a bullseye from 20 feet with a baseball. (laughs) She only missed the bullseye by about a foot, holding baby Mary in her other arm while throwing from 20 feet, so yeah. If anyone that has a softball team, apparently there is something there (laughs) as she shakes her head vigorously. (laughs) All right. For the next two Sundays, we are going to be doing something a little bit different. We've come to the end of our summer in the Psalms, and we have a bigger series that is going to be going on when we get to October. But for the next two Sundays, we are going to be trying to answer some questions. And by that, what I mean is, have you ever wondered why it is that the church does some of the things that it does? Like, we have a lot of traditions that we just kind of take for granted. We just kind of do them without thinking about it. And have you ever just kind of wondered why? What's the story behind that? And for the next two Sundays, we are going to be looking to answer some of those why questions. But as there are many different traditions that the church does, we're going to be narrowing it down to just the sacraments, just two, communion this Sunday and baptism the next. And by no means are we going to be able to explore every nook and cranny of what we are saying when we do these sacraments, why we do them, but I think we'll get a pretty decent overview. And so, communion, why do we do it? Why do we do it the way that we have And to talk about communion and to answer those questions, then I think we have to start where you probably would think we would start. We need to start with Scripture. But probably not actually where you would think we would start. We need to start actually in the Old Testament, all the way back in the book of Exodus, in chapter 12. And there we read of the last of the plagues that were sent by God to free the Hebrew people from captivity, the angel of death that will pass over the land, it says. But all the people who spread the blood of the lamb over their doorposts, they will be spared. Hence, Passover, the angel of death passes over. But what do you do with that lamb? After you use all that blood, I don't know if you've ever actually read that story and wondered about that question, But as a farmer, that's just kind of a waste. What do you do with that? Well, what you do with that is you get a feast going and you invite your family over and you celebrate how the Lord rescued you from bondage. That's what you do. You give thanksgiving to the Lord. And that is the origin of the Passover Seder that is celebrated by Jewish people to this very day. And this is also where the story of communion begins, which is what we can tell from our passage today from Luke 22 and verses 7 and 8, where we read, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. And so straight from its beginning, communion was a part of the Passover Seder. And then we read on in our passage today. And as we do, we see something that is more recognizable to how we would think of communion today. We see that after the Seder meal, Jesus takes some wine, takes some bread, and he divides it out amongst his disciples, hands it to them. And then we get those two wonderfully important lines. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this wine is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. That's from Luke. I was reading in the NIV there. 
And so as the first communion, it now happens before us in this story. We see that in it there is additional meaning that is being revealed as well as that is being added on to that original Passover Seder. It is still that. The Last Supper is still a Seder. Communion still starts as a Seder. But while before we were just remembering, just giving thanks and celebrating how God rescued the Hebrew people from bondage of slavery, well, now we are also recognizing that through what Christ Jesus did, or soon would do, on that cross for us, how through those actions we are also saved from a different kind of bondage as well. We are saved from the bondage of sin. We are saved from the chains of death. That we are saved from this other kind of bondage, though, Christ, we know, we know that because of his blood that was spelled for us and how there was a new covenant that was made between God and us, just as Jesus says in this passage here, one in which we can know salvation, know that we are God's chosen people as well. Know that God is our God and that we are his people all by knowing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he shows himself to be throughout the gospel message. But we see other elements that are being brought into the Seder in the story of the Last Supper as well, through what Jesus does here as well. We see a new and more specific emphasis that is placed on relationship here. It's brought into the celebration. Because in communion, in this story, Christ tells us that we are partaking in his body. We are in some way joining together with him every time we have communion. And through this joining with the Lord, we are also finding out that we are joining with other believers as well, all of who are also joining with the Lord. And so to have communion is not just to join together with God in some way, but also with all of the believers who have lived, not just now, not just in the future, but since the apostles themselves. We are all together joining with our Lord in communion. And we see all of this in the gospel account of the Last Supper. But then that meal comes to an end, and then Jesus is captured, and then he dies on the cross, and then his blood is spilt, just like he told the disciples would happen. But then glorious day, he is resurrected, and then he ascends to heaven, and then he sends the Holy Spirit to come upon his followers. And as it does, as the Holy Spirit comes, that is when the church is born, to which we get almost immediately the first record of communion being celebrated by Christians. And notable is that it is not at the time of year that a Seder normally would be happening. That's a once a year type of thing. But instead, it is just happening every time believers gather. Acts 2, verses 46, and that chunk there when it talks about what the early church was doing. And from this we know that straight from the beginning of church history, communion has been something that Christians have done. There has never been the church without communion. But at that time, communion still looked very different than what we would think it does today. Namely in one way, because instead of communion just being a ceremony on its own, kind of a standalone part of a service like we think of it today, in those days it was still part of a larger meal, which brings us to the passage we probably most often think about when we talk about communion. First Corinthians chapter 11, which we're going to hear read, uh, a chunk of it read not too long from now. And if you're reading that chapter in its entirety, you'll notice that it actually is making a very different point than is often made on a communion Sunday. And that's because when Paul is saying it, this passage isn't just about trying to relay this is the right way the communion is done. Instead, what Paul is doing in that passage is tearing an absolute strip off of the church in Corinth. And the reason that he's doing that is because what was happening at these 
communion meals when the believers of the church of Corinth were getting together is those that could control their own schedule, that is, the people that were well off. They would just kind of show up early, eat the prime cuts of everything, and then when those that couldn't control their own schedule, that is, those that are poor, those that were slaves, those that were servants, and that is going to be a majority of the people from that time, they would just get left with the scraps. And so what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 11 is none of that. Not only is that just a mean thing to do, that's a, more than that, if you are doing this, what you need to do is you need to make things right between yourself and those who you have wronged. And you have wronged them by doing this. Are we not all equal under God? Why do you need to make things right with them? Because if you don't, well, then you are just eating and drinking judgment on yourself. Are those verses there? Why is that eating and drinking judgment on yourself? Because by celebrating communion, what you are saying is that you are in good relationship with the rest of the church. You are in good relationship with the rest of the church through Christ. So if you are being willfully terrible to other people and then still partaking in communion, well, then you're pretty much just lying to Christ right in his face, aren't you? Here's a hint. As a Christian, don't do that. That's the big takeaway of 1 Corinthians 11, and that's why Paul then shows us how it is that communion is celebrated. But there is also one more large element of communion that Paul recognizes in this passage as well, and that is that if in communion we're joining together with Christ, then because we as Christians are living in eager anticipation of the day that our Lord will return, that means every time we take communion we are reminding ourselves of when that glorious day will finally come. And while there are more little things to be said about communion throughout Scripture, that, that's actually a pretty good overview of what, what the Bible says about it. But you may notice that with all of that said, we still haven't actually arrived at why communion looks the way that it does today from just that. Why communion is the way that we do it. And that is because when it comes to any tradition that the church observes, well, church history plays almost as large a role in the form that it takes as the Bible does itself. It's been over 2,000 years after all. So knowing that, well, Let's skip through church history for a little bit. And as we do that, we skip forward about 100 years first. And as we do that, we see that things have changed somewhat during the time of Paul to about 100 years later. The church has spread like absolute gangbusters all across the Roman Empire and far and wide to the point that there are likely millions of members all within 100 years. Can you imagine that? That might sound like a long time, but a hundred years is not very long at all. And there were emperors that were not too terribly fond of that rapid spread because Christianity did teach and does teach many things that authoritarians are not the biggest fans of. We are all equal under the Lord. Pacifism. (laughs) Those are two. And so what the emperors would do is they found themselves in a case where they were persecuting our brothers and sisters from all those years ago, killing them for their faith. But here's the thing about killing your own people. You kind of have to have a good reason why you're doing it or else their neighbors and their family get really not okay with that. And one of the excuses that the emperor at the time put forward was that early Christians were simply evil, despite every evidence to the contrary. Straight from the beginning, early Christians were taking in orphans that otherwise would be left. They were giving money to the poor. They were giving money to the needy. They were building up the kingdom of our Lord straight from the beginning. But no, 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 they are just evil, the emperors would say. Why? Because they practice 
cannibalism. After all, they're eating the body of Christ. They're drinking his blood. They say that. They proclaim that themselves at their meetings. What is that if not cannibalism? So in response to that rather clear example of slander, an early church leader named Justin Martyr, whose name gives away the end of his story, he wrote the first apologetic, the first case for Christianity, in which he in part explained what communion at that time really was and how it was practiced. And in his description, which came about 150 years after the time of Paul, 185, somewhere in there, and it survives to this day, you can read it, you can look it up on the internet, there's translations all over the place. But in his description, gone were the larger meals of the Seder, and instead communion had become more like it is today, a part of the larger service. It kind of had to be, because when you were being persecuted, you never know when it is that you'd be able to get together. You never knew when it is that you would need to book it for the exit if somebody showed up. So it had to be a smaller thing. Really the only difference between uh, the communion that Justin Martyr would do in his day and the one that we have now is that in his day, water was actually being added to the wine before they were serving it. And while that might sound an odd thing, what Justin Martyr said is the reason they were doing this is because the wine was the blood of Christ. The water represented the church. And so there was that community aspect coming together as well. Although it should also be noted that in the time of the Romans, what was not at all uncommon was to make their wine thick and make it real strong. And so the Romans would often water down their wine before they gave it around. There's an excellent chance the same thing is happening here. But at the same time, we're already seeing how the church is adapting communion, taking the meaning and making that the important thing and then running with it. Then all is quiet for a long while when it comes to communion, with the next big development coming about a millennia later in the 1200s. And for whatever reason, that was a century that saw theologians bicker about how everything worked in the church. As a part of those arguments, we are now talking about how of communion, how communion actually worked on a mechanical level. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood. These are the words that Jesus spoke. So how can that be true if we're only eating bread? We're only drinking wine. Well, the popular answer that was put forward at that time, it came not so much from theology, not so much from the Bible, but instead borrowed from Aristotle. It came from philosophy, and that is that when you consume the elements, then the essence of the bread, it actually changes to become Christ's body. The essence of the wine, it changes to become the blood of Christ. And that answer, while it was very popular, it was actually only just one floating around of many. That is until there was a young upstart named Martin Luther, who came around about three centuries later. And he took one look at that explanation, and then he read his Bible, and then he said something to the tune, and this is watering it down a lot, that I think that that is a dumb explanation. Obviously, Jesus is just talking figuratively in this passage, to which he suggests the following explanation instead. The elements do not change, but instead, in some real way, Christ nevertheless is within them. They are still bread and they are still wine, but as we partake in communion, Christ comes to us in some real way. And while that might sound like a level-headed response in how I worded it, Luther is not one for level-headed responses. And so, not too long after that, after the great Reformation and schisms happened, the Catholic Church chose to really double down. And soon after, that was once just one of the popular interpretations. That first one I said, it became doctrine. And it is held to this day. Either way, between these two understandings of communion, you get about two-thirds of the Christians that are alive today. Catholics being the main group for the first one. Lutherans, all the English Reformation churches, so the Anglicans, Episcopalians, Methodists, the United. They, they being the main chunk of the second. 
And that brings us at long last to the beginnings of the branches of the church that we are in. Because the early Anabaptists, that is, the people that would become Mennonites eventually, as well as who would become most of the evangelicals, they, they took one look at this whole debate, and then they looked at their Bibles, and then they declared loudly something else. They said, you're both wrong. Communion is just a purely symbolic thing. Along, and then what you get from there is our branches of the church. They hold to that, that communion is memorial. Communion is symbolic. Along with pretty much every Baptist church and a solid chunk of the charismatic denominations as well, including, I'm pretty sure the PAOC and the different assemblies of God would fall under that one. And if this whole debate over how the mechanics of communion actually works just seems a little odd, no, I kind of agree that it is a bit of a silly thing to fight over. But also, it's an important thing to know because this is one of the main debates that is keeping the church in a thousand and one pieces. To get over this conflict needs to be happened before any form of reconciliation can happen. And so, silly, sure, but sadly, something can be silly and also important at the same time. But while the debate raged on amongst the theologians, how communion was actually celebrated practically by the church, it continued to change. The next big thing that would happen was in America in the 1800s. That's when they invented grape juice. That might sound weird to invent grape juice, but the nature of grapes growing outside is you get wild yeast on them, so the moment you crush them, they will ferment by doing absolutely nothing within a week. And so if you want to have non-alcoholic grape juice, that requires knowing how, firm, uh, knowing how pasteurization and all of those different preserving techniques, and that came around in the 1800s. And it was a wonderful invention because in the early 1800s, America had a really bad alcohol problem. And I do mean really bad alcohol problem. By every metric that exists, they drink roughly three to four times more than we do today as a nation. And it shouldn't surprise you to know that even though that problem exists, the thought of changing one of the elements into something else, that rubbed many churches in exactly the wrong way. But many did change, including the ones that draw a line to us this morning. Then the 20th century saw even more changes to communion practice. A large move towards making communion more inclusive happened. At that point in time, when we get to the beginning of the 20th century, the most common way of holding communion in most branches of the church, and it's still this way today, was that communion is just for baptized church members only. This certainly was the case in the EMC, including our own church up until about the 80s. They, they would have special Sunday evening services for members only to, to celebrate. And during those meetings, communion, uh, particularly in the EMC, was held with foot washing because those two things are linked very close together in Scripture and the story of the Last Supper as well. But then in many congregations, particularly amongst the evangelicals and the denominations that saw communion as symbolic, the move to make communion open to non-members, that gained a lot of traction. This push happened for a number of reasons, even in our own congregation it happened for a number of reasons. I'd encourage you to talk to some of the people that celebrated it uh, in the old form. There are great stories about how we did, the, the story of how our church has changed and things is just fascinating. But what would happen is, is that when it opened up to non-members, it also moved away from being an evening over service to during the day. And it was open to then all believers. I mean, non-believers still were not uh, asked to participate, and also children were not. But then in time, even with children, that too made way for churches just leaving it up to parents' discretion, including our own. But the most recent change to communion, it is actually newer than anything. It is only three years old. It happened during the pandemic. 
because it has always been assumed that communion requires at least two people to be involved. It requires a server of some sort, and then it requires somebody receiving. But lockdowns, they changed all that for many churches, ours included. Is it the same thing for someone over the internet to lead a congregation in communion? Well, that is something that I suspect we will also be wondering about for a while. While most churches would say it's not ideal, and I certainly would say it's not the ideal way, we also say given extraordinary circumstances, you need to do the extraordinary. But it should be noted that even though the situation was unlike anything that we had ever done before, nevertheless, this change that just happened is probably the biggest change that's happened in communion straight from its inception. And that's kind of crazy. But these are just some of the bigger changes in communion practice over the past 500 years. On a Sunday morning, you will still, to this day, have churches that disagree on all sorts of things when it comes to communion, on regularity, on the words said and who can be involved. You will have some who have a common cup. You will have some who use wine or juice or both. You'll have some that have wafers, others bread, some crackers, some particularly daring branches even dip the bread in the wine. Like, can you imagine? But no matter the differences, I think it's important that the point that we should never forget is that in communion, we are all as believers joined together as Christ's church in him. So though changes made to communion are a big deal, maybe making those differences in communion the hill that you choose to die on is by its nature missing the point of communion altogether. The EMC Statement of Faith says the following about communion. We believe that Christians are to celebrate the Lord's Supper as instituted by Christ. The elements, the bread and the cup, they symbolize the body of Christ and his shed blood. With this celebration, Christians call to mind Christ's suffering for the sins of the whole human race and proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. The Lord's Supper, also called communion, involves fellowship, self-examination, and thanksgiving. Christians should examine their own relationship to God to, and to other people before practicing in this commemoration. You might notice in there that it says a bunch of things that all say this is a symbol. And you might also note that there is little that is said in that explanation about communion that actually talks about how it should be performed. Even in the EMC minister's manual, that its whole purpose is this is how you perform specific EMC services. It says that communion, uh, from the scriptural references, is we give thanks, we break bread, we hand it out, we explain what we are doing, we command it to be eaten in the wine drank. There are then examples of how that can be done in the minister's manual, but none of them are declared that this is the only way it should be done. And in that combination of those five elements, you can see pretty much any form of communion that the church does across its vastness today. And when it comes to communion, perhaps that is exactly what we should take from how we are to perform it. When even in the scripture and in the early church itself, we see that there is different ways that communion was performed. First, it was as part of a Seder meal. Then it was every time Christians got together, regardless of when they got there. And then not long after that, it's a standalone ceremony itself when one of the elements was even somewhat different than it is today. Maybe the how isn't what matters as much as the, the why, you know? To have communion regularly, that the Acts passage in particular makes clear that we as a church are supposed to do because straight from its beginning, they had it regularly. 
but maybe the nuts and bolts of a tradition like communion that is over 2,000 years old now simply doesn't matter as much as the answer that we have for the question, what is what we are doing supposed to mean? And on that, we do have a much clearer answer from Scripture for when we practice communion from Scripture. We know that we are like the Hebrew people, supposed to remember, supposed to celebrate and give thanksgiving to our God who saved us from bondage. When we celebrate communion from Scripture, we know that we are supposed to remember that our Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood for us to save us from our sins. When we celebrate communion from Scripture, we know that we are remembering that in that bread and in that cup, no matter how we understand the mechanics of how communion actually works, we are coming into close communion with Christ and with the rest of the church throughout all of time, which means that committing ourselves to right the wrongs that we have committed in whatever way that we need to do so that we can join into that great relationship in good faith is bound up and important in communion as well. And when we celebrate communion from Scripture, we know that we are choosing to reaffirm our love for the Lord again and again and again until he returns one glorious day. As we see in the Seder, we see in the Gospels and in Acts and in Paul's writings, this is what we are supposed to be saying when we have communion. This is what we are supposed to be celebrating when we have communion. This and nothing less. And so as we celebrate communion together this morning, let us pray that in how we proclaim the Lord's Supper here in our congregation today, that these elements of our belief shine through. And if we find that the day comes when they don't, well, if history has shown us anything, even as we have seen in our own congregation over the past 100 years, and tweaking the formula a little bit here and there for the sake of recapturing and re-embodying the great biblical truths that we have in communion. Maybe that's not the end of the world either. And so, as we have been talking about communion this whole time, I'd like to ask the servers up. In the book of 1 Corinthians, we read, For the tradition I received from the Lord and also handed on to you is that on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way with the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this as a memorial of me. For whenever you eat this bread then and drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. In our church, communion is open to all people, all believers. Parents, I would ask that you make that decision for your children yourself. It is going to be handed out by our two servers to where it is that you sit. And while it is handed out, while music is playing, I ask that you take stock Think of all of the people in your life that you maybe need to make things right with. And as you go out today, do that. And so I ask, please bow with me now in prayer. We thank you for being with us in this way. We thank you that in communion we are joined with you. We thank you that in communion we are joined with the church throughout all of time, together with you. And our Lord, we pray that the full weight of that is made clear to us. Lord, we pray that the thanksgiving in that is made clear to us. We pray that the celebration in that is made clear to us. 
And Lord, as we wait for the day you return, we pray that through communion we will see you clearer each and every time we join with you. Our Lord, we thank you for this new covenant. Amen. Together we eat. And together we drink. Now I'd ask that you join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we close this morning, we're going to sing together, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. We'll sing two verses, and then Russell will come and give the benediction, and then we will close with repeating verse one. Again, I'd like to invite you to stay out for the potluck. Uh, we'll be saying uh, grace for it once it is good to go. And for our benediction, we turn to the book of Numbers. May God bless you and keep you. May he let his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he show you his face and bring you peace. Go now and serve our God. Blessed be.